Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Business Chef Podcast with me, Chef Sean Boucher. Thanks for spending some time with us, and today, we are talking about equipment. I love equipment. I love really good equipment, and the equipment that I am talking about, or that we are talking about today, is some of the best. In fact, it is in almost every kitchen nowadays. Almost everyone knows about Roboku. And Robocoos, they can even be used as a verb. People even use a Roboku or Robocoo it as a verb. And when you've reached verb status, good night, you have arrived. Our good friend Leon is here to talk about Roboku. He's here to talk about his career and give us some insights as to, you know, what it's like to be a corporate chef. And for those of you out there who don't have a Roboku, ClickLease is here. ClickLease is here to help you get financing you need for that RoboCoup. So, ClickLease.com, if you haven't checked it out yet, you need to. Without further ado, here we go. My man, Mr. Leon. Always been, um, a county arts is something I always enjoy. I cook for my family since I was probably 14. Um, never thought I would make a career out of it. Um, so out of high school, I went to the military. I thought that's what I'd be doing for the rest of my life. And um, about three and a half, four years into that, I had an injury that caused me not to be able to continue. Um, so I got out. Um, but the thing, good thing about that is in Illinois, where I started the whole journey, um, they have an Illinois veteran grant. So it allows you to go to school for free for all the veterans in Illinois. So I went to college and I got my culinary arts um, degree and a business degree there as well. And um, from there I started working and um, started off at a catering place, did some catering stuff. My whole goal from that point was to kind of get a like a full spectrum of all the different facets of culinary arts. So I worked in catering, I worked in fine dining, I've done um, um, some, some restaurant work as well. I owned a restaurant for a couple of years a while back. So the first few years, I was pretty much jumping around, trying to get gain experience, work underneath really good chefs to try to get that resume built. And then from there, I took my first uh, sous chef position, uh, probably four years later, into a, a catering place in a suburb in Chicago. And did that for a few years. Went on to do some luxury boutique hotel work in Geneva, Illinois. And then uh, worked for Bon Appetit Management Company. And uh, that was more of a business and industry type accounts. So I, at that point, I was working for Wheaton College, um, which is a Christian college in Wheaton, in, outside of Chicago. And uh, that one of the key, that particular account, we were we were named uh, Princeton Review's Best Honorary Arts or, or Food Program for colleges for that year. And we remained in the top three of all the years I was there. So that was quite nice. And then after that, they asked me to go out to San, um, excuse me, to Austin, Texas. Went to college at Fairfax and try to replicate what we did in Wheaton. Uh, so did that them for a couple of years, and 
from there, I got an opportunity to open a restaurant in near Chicago suburbs in St. Charles, Illinois. So I went out that way, opened a restaurant with a few partners, did that for a couple of years. Um, some consulting work after that. After that went well, I took my portion of that and did some consulting work for the restaurants. That was right about the time in 2008, the downturn in the in the you know the whole market and all that. Some issues with that, and the restaurant struggled from there. But we were able to pull it out of the out of the ditch by changing the concept from you know large entrees, expensive fine dining, to more of a small plate concept. Um, so from there. I learned that, that experience was able to pass that knowledge on other people, and they hired me to do some consulting work in various forms from that. Uh, and so now we're talking probably 15 years into it. And um, at that point, I just decided that I wanted to see my, my children grow up. It was like we came home one day, and they went from being babies to being young young ladies. So I said, well, that's not going to work. I need to spend some more time with them. So I started trying to find a job in the corporate chef industry. Uh, looked for that for quite a while and got a few things going there. Um, finally landed at my first um, equipment manufacturer's corporate chef job, which was Eloma Combi Ovens. Um, so they do uh, combination ovens, high-end oven, and I did that for quite a few years with them, six years. And then the opportunity came to do the same thing for Robocoop out here in California. So I kind of jumped on that. Robocoop is definitely a good name, very good, strong brand name. Everybody knows it. And it's one of those pieces that is in every kitchen, kind of no matter where you go. So it was kind of nice to work for that sort of um, company that had that name recognition where you can get in the door and, and start the conversation going and help other chefs and, and culinary arts professionals do the things they need um, with our vegetable prep machines and all our other wonderful machines that we have. So that's kind of the long and short. I've been in California now for the past uh, five, six years now. Yeah. Holy smokes. You have a ton of experience in a lot of different places and segments, and holy smokes, man. Um, so, okay, given all your experience, given everything that you've done, I, I'm curious because having been a corporate chef for you know a couple of different brands and, and kind of understanding what it takes to do that and what skills and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm really curious for, because I'm sure there's people out there that are listening to this. They're like, man, I would, you know, I could get into that. I could be a corporate chef. I, I'm getting kind of burnt out on every night, weekend, holiday. So, you know, in your opinion, what can people do to prepare themselves to get into roles like that? Yeah, that's, a, that's a very good question because honestly, when I was doing it, I was not prepared at all. I kind of was, uh, I actually wasn't even looking to work for an equipment manufacturer. I was trying to find a job. I was a corporate chef, like develop menus, things like that, more along that, those sort of lines. So when I was approached by the president of Iloma, he explained what the job was and learning it was more about the sales position. I kind of told him, I said, well, you know, I'm not a salesman. I'm a, I'm a chef. And he explained to me if I was any good, if I was any, any good at being a chef, that I should also be a really good salesman as well. So that's what chefs do. You know, we create the menu, look to the front of the house staff. We sell it every day to the people in the restaurant. We sell it to our line cooks and try to get them to buy into our passion so they can recreate what we do. So he was kind of right in that regard. And there were some other struggles that came in up because of, of my lack of experience in the sales world. And I still struggle with a few of those today. But um, like everything else, we kind of do the best we can with what we've got and rely on others to help and to fill in the gaps. And a team is made up of people that do 
uh, good work. It depends. Some people may not do the do all the things, but you know the pieces of the puzzle fit together, and that's what makes the the whole team work good together. So as far as something that a uh, skill set that somebody would need, I think just being a, a good chef in a restaurant and knowing how to you know roll the punches and get things done, and just kind of overcome these insurmountable odds. It seems sometimes. I mean, that's a trait that'll serve you well in any industry, I believe. Um, but to be specific, if you had some some computer knowledge, you know, I mean, it's like Excel is a good way to go. Or if you've been in restaurants and you're up the ladder quite a bit, you might know how to read a P&L report, and that's important because a lot of budget things and um, financial things are required in the corporate chef world. Um, so that's also a, a good a good tool to have under your belt. And that the main thing has been is the attitude, because it's a people business. We're in front of people every day. We're talking to people every day. You know, and we want to we want to convey the, our experience and get them to understand that we know what we're talking about and that we can help them in their in their quest to to smooth out whatever they do in their kitchen. So, okay. So then, following up that question with, I'm curious if you see the same things that I've seen because. Having worked for equipment manufacturers, having having done support for different pieces of equipment, it seems to me like a lot of people out there, they, they buy into a concept or they buy into a marketing message or a presentation or whatever it is, and they see something and they're like, oh man, I really love that, and I want to be able to do that, so I'm going to buy this machine, but as soon as it comes through the doors they don't maximize it. They they learn how to do one or two things with it, but they don't ever take the time to really learn it. And they don't, I don't know, they just, they don't, they don't really dive in and really try to figure out, you know, how to maximize that investment. And so anyway, I'm just curious if you kind of see some of those same things in your, in your daily life. Yeah, that's, that's a good observation, and I've seen that as well. I see it every day. Um, we did a really good job of marketing that our, our one machine called the R2, which is the red machine with the, with the gray top, and everybody has that in the kitchen. But the, the problem, I should say the challenge that we're having, is that um, people gravitate towards that and just buy that just because they're used to seeing that, and it may not be what they need. It might not serve them the best. So our job is to go in there and kind of help them along with that process and show them, well, there might be something better. I think part of that is the kitchen culture, though, because when you get in a kitchen, it's it's just like hit the ground running and go, go, go. So I don't know of um, many restaurants that allow the cooks to really slow down and learn a piece of equipment to its nth degree, like go through the manual. I don't think anyone's even read a manual. So a lot of times I go to a place and say, well, it's in the manual. And they're like, I've never even seen the manual. What manual? It's in, the, it's in that box that it came in, you know. So <laughs> we deal with that all the time. In regards to Robocoot, when it comes to picking up a piece, um, what we always try to do is we ask people, well, what's, I try to take, like, the three things off their plate that the, it's causing the most amount of time and uh, to, to prep it. So maybe you're at a, I don't know, let's say a, a Mexican restaurant, and they're like, well, you know, we do a ton. Pico de Gallo, we do, like, 20 pounds of tomatoes diced by hand, onions, 10 pounds by hand, all the cilantro and all that stuff. We do that all by hand. And um, we can go in there and we can show them, okay, great. That's one piece we can take right off your plate right off the bat and take two hours of work and turn it into 10 minutes of work, you know. 
So that's kind of what I try to do is I go into a place and and visualize their menu, look at their menu, find out the things that can make the biggest impact for them. And then once they're once they buy into that, they're like, oh, okay, this guy was he wasn't he's telling the truth. He wasn't he wasn't blown. So now they're interested and they say, okay, I see what you did with the tomatoes. What can we do with this? What can we do with that? Let me offer more solutions in that regard. And it's kind of a it kind of works. And people really um, buy in and trust us. They they really see a, a big savings in, in, in those things in production, labor, uh, the consistency of all the cuts that they're that they're producing. Because you know I'm a pretty good I'm pretty good with the knife. I've been doing it for many years, and I'm sure a lot of people out there as well. But if you come to me and you say, hey, can you do a half inch dice on these um, potatoes, and then Sean, you do it as well, and we take the ruler out and measure it. There's going to be a difference, no matter how good we are, no matter how exact we are, because we're not robots, you know. So the good thing about that is those big, large numbers of prep that you have to do on a daily basis that you want to have consistent and look the same. Um, that's that's where we come in and we really shine in that regard. Well, and I would wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I I live and die by Robocoos in my kitchens. I I absolutely love them. Um, implemented. And, and brought them in almost everywhere I've ever been places that I go to. I always recommend them because it is, it's, it's a, it's a machine that is essentially, you know, people, here's an interesting thing. I, people are always talking about how, well, the robots are going to take our jobs. The robots are going to take over and, and they're taking jobs from people. But the reality is, is the robots are not taking jobs from people. The reality is, is we can't find people to do those jobs and we still have to get things done. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we still, somebody still has to cut the onions and the tomatoes and somebody still has to do all those things. And we can't find people that want to do that. And so we've got to find a way to get that done. We have to look at kind of what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You know, you look at industries like manufacturing and, and essentially food service is manufacturing we have cost of goods souls so or sold we have um you know we essentially manufacture widgets in in the sense of our our each dish is a is a widget is something that we put out and we know about how much it costs to make that and how much we can charge for it and so i think that there's a lot of advantage and a lot of things that we could learn essentially from um from manufacturing and from how things are done on that side, because if if we can learn some of those economies of scale, if we can learn how to how to combine tasks and 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 kind of systemize and streamline and do some of these things, then we stay afloat. And we, you know, there's there's just a lot of a lot of things that we can learn from a lot of these different places. So, anyway, with that said, um, I think. It's interesting that that people have a tendency to to shy away from this or have a have a perspective that it's that it's different somehow, um, you know. But again, there's just uh, there's a lot of a lot of similarities between food service and manufacturing. And I think the the more that we can learn from some of those things, the better. Yeah, that's a very good take, and it's always a fine balance between you know efficiency and stuff that looks done by hand, you know, the, the, the love of the art of culinary arts, but then also trying to realize it's also a business, you know? So we have, we have to create things that people like to eat and things that like to look at and things that smell good and things that are, that are visually appealing on the plate. We also have to do it for a profit. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Right. 
So that's a very good point. Um, I think it comes down to the, just the management at different restaurants. And you'd be surprised how many restaurants I go into that are chains. I have hundreds of restaurants open, and they don't have that level of efficiency where they're where they're like, okay, so you need five pounds of diced onions, you need ten, you need twenty. All right, prep quick. Let's just have you do the, the, all of it together and just divvy them out. And I, I've seen that in the business and industry accounts I worked at when I worked for when I worked for Bon Appetit because um, we had large people. I mean. We were serving 3,000 people a day, three meals a day, so 9,000 meals. So, you know, we couldn't really afford to not be efficient. So we had a whole central spot that was doing all the prep work, um, like a central prep kitchen, if you will, that divvied out all the products at different locations. And I think if more restaurants kind of worked along those lines and were able to implement something similar to that, I think that would it would definitely improve the efficiency greatly. And, um, yeah, but like you said, you know, the whole – skirting that line between, you know, being a business and being profitable, but then still not losing the hard side of it because a lot of us probably got into it, you know, we like that part of it. And being able to monetize that art is, is, the, is the tricky part. And I think that's why a lot of restaurants don't make it. Okay. So for maybe people who don't know out there, what is the process that they go through? So like, you know, they go to buy a piece of equipment, um, say a RoboCube, and they say... They call you up and they say, hey, I want to know more about this. Talk about that process and talk about what it is that you do, the benefit of, of working with you, and, and some of the things that you bring to the table for those those customers or clients. Mm-hmm. Well, there's usually a couple of different reasons when people will contact us. Um, one could be because uh, they're, they're faced with a challenge. Like lately in the, in the industry, labor is a huge challenge. You know, um, It used to be that years ago, it's kind of hard to find a job now. If you want to work, there's jobs out there. There's, you're going to find work. So people is not the issue. It's finding good quality people to do the job that will, you know. And and the other problem is is, is the is the labor with the with the with the amount of money we're spending on minimum wage and all that. And yeah, we want to to pay our people a living wage. We want that to happen. We also have to monetize that part of it. So. The reason they approach me would be one thing because they want to improve efficiency because they're they're seeing something in their kitchen that's just not working right or they're spending way too much time doing, or it becomes it something snowballs into something bigger than that they thought it would and now that's out of the, out of their hands the realm of being able to complete it. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of that. One example of that would be um, we're doing fairly well with the new concept, the acai bowls. You know, I'm sure everybody's seen those. Everybody has them. There, there's not a good way to really make those up until recently. Everyone was trying to use a blender and jamming the fruit in there and beating up blenders, getting buying new blenders every three months. And then, so we came up with a product that was able to to produce that very easily. Um, our bitter model does that quite easily and very quickly with a lot with very little labor. So we had a customer um, in in LA that that started out and was and got so busy he just couldn't keep up. He's like, I really need something that's going to help me keep my business growing because at this point I can't sustain this. I can't have, I can't hire more people because it's just not profitable at that point. So that's that's kind of a good catalyst sometimes for people to come in and they just have so much volume that they that they're pushed to the point where they have to kind of you know mechanize the process a little bit. I think my point in all of this, or the point that I want to drive home is that. You know, when people buy equipment, there's a lot of options out there now. There's a lot of resources that people can tap into. And just understanding, too, that I think in the past, it used to be that you had a lot of 
salesmen that were that were kind of in this position you know what i mean instead of chefs and and that's a challenge because people don't want to be sold you know and and i think as chefs we we have the opportunity to really educate people on what's available not necessarily sell them on it if if that makes sense yeah i agree with you on that and i think part of the 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 issue is years past they hadn't had chefs do do the job that I do. It's just been a salesperson, so they don't want to be pressured into a, a, a pushy sales position, and they don't, you know. But, but wait, there's more, and it also does this. Nobody wants to hear that, you know. So I, I, I don't go in with a hard sell. I go in and I say, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? All right, well, I think we can do this, and based on my experience, um, I think that this would be the best solution for you, and here's why, and here's how you're going to recoup that money you spent on it, and you know, give them the whole thing. And I don't think, as a whole, I don't think. Our, the industry of equipment manufacturing has fully adopted employing chefs for that role. And I think that's going to be the huge thing that's going to change things in the future for the success of that industry. Because if you don't, no one wants to be sold from a salesman. No one wants to go to like a used car salesman guy and, and, and pitch him a story when he's never even used the stuff and doesn't really know the challenges that they're dealing with. So I think the more chefs we have in our field that are, that are doing my role, it's going to help the whole process and together. And it's going to, it's going to reinforce the whole the idea that you can be trusted and, and worked with and, and not just worry about being sold something that they really don't need, you know? Well, I know that when people come into my kitchen that I, I put a lot more stock into what they're saying. If I know that they've been there or I know that they have experience in, in what they're talking about. And, uh, and so that's important to me. It's important to me to have, you know, if a chef's going to talk to me about equipment, that's great um, because I know that they probably have some similar experiences and they can they can talk the talk and walk the walk. Whereas if somebody's coming in to just show me something and they've never really used it and it's all conceptual and and not super practical, like I'm eh, just I'm not quite as interested. So for those people who are out there and hear this and think you know I want to know more about this, what's a good way to learn more about about Roboku and the products? Well, the um, best way to do that, the easiest way to do that would just be go to our, our website on, online, you know, to robocoopusa.com. And from there, you can navigate that website. You can ask for information. You can contact myself or, or one of my colleagues that work across the country. There's somebody in every market, so we got the whole country covered for you. And it's all, they're all, we're all chefs. We're not just um, salespersons. So. And last but not least... What advice do you have for anybody who's either looking to get into this industry or maybe wants to progress and, and move their career along? Yeah, well, if you're if you're trying to get into this, the best thing to do is start start off with the network. You know, go to the shows, you know, the, the restaurant shows, because every show, every manufacturer is there, and we're all there, and our bosses are there. So you can go in and see how they do. You can meet meet us. They have, you know, talk to us. How do I get into this? You know, the best thing, the, the most important thing that we're, we really look for in that position is someone who has chef knowledge and somebody who has a desire to do it, to be honest with you. That's it. So if you go in and you talk to people and you sell yourself and get involved in that world, go to some of the some of the seminars and things like that that they offer at the, at the um, restaurant shows. Talk to the people, really meet them, ask to meet the guy in charge, you know, and say, hey, I'm looking to do this. How do I do this? And they'll, they'll tell you. They'll say, well, 
so-and-so has a position over there looking for someone very entry-level, or they'll give you the piece of the puzzle depending on where you need to be. And that's not how I came up. I was lucky. You know, somebody kind of pulled me out of the trench, so to speak. And not to say that equipment manufacturing chefs is the end-all, be-all. It just depends on where you want to be. There's, you know, I, I, I probably, there's a lot of people that have been perfectly satisfied with being a restaurant chef for the rest of their life. And there's a lot of a lot of reward in that. I, I valued my time in that, and I miss it a lot of times. But there are other times when I don't miss it, like on Friday night, Saturday night, holidays, <laughs> things like that. So th- there are perks for sure, but I still miss the grind. So, But anyway, for the person that really wants to get into it, I would say go to the shows, talk to talk to us, talk to the people, see what it's like, you know, and make make a couple of those guys your friends, see see what they uh, see what they have to offer, find out if it's really what you want to do, because it's not all uh, it's not all gravy either, you know, it's um there's a lot of hard work involved and there's a lot of challenges too, but that's kind of what um, any any good chef is able to conquer those challenges and and like I said, roll the punches. Well, amen to that. Guys, if you have not checked out Roboku, if you don't know what it is or you don't know what it can do, I would highly suggest going and checking it out. Both from a, you know, what can it do for you uh, as far as labor and consistency and all the different things there. Um, But then also, you know, there might be products out there that you're just not aware of. So it's always good to educate yourself, always good to kind of see what your options are. And then from there, you can make the best decision possible. Special thanks to my man, Leon, for being here today. Really appreciate him and his time and his expertise and his experience and passion and willingness to share. And like I said, for those of you who who know about Roboku or maybe want to know more about it and are ready to, to move ahead and get one, make sure you check out ClickLease.com. ClickLease.com for your equipment financing needs. And uh, we will see you next week. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org.